Our scripture reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2. I want to um, just alert your attention if you have a, a kindergarten and first grader. We don't have kindergarten and first grade the, the second hour today just because a lot of families want to come forward together. So uh, we're trying to eliminate as uh, many workers out and also kids being with their families. We've also, uh, again, noting that we're in the fifth week of our capital campaign, and so this is the final week, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But last week, you may remember me preaching on uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're talking about generosity. And I may have misled some people, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I have a chance to speak each week so I can uh, correct things that may have gone wrong. But I, I may have said something, and I said something like this, most of the money that goes in the offering plate comes to me. And so I didn't want anyone to think that I just took the baskets and put them in my trunk and, you know, whatever's left at the end of the month. Really, most of the money goes to the interns. And so, uh, but I didn't, I, money is a sensitive topic and I wanted to be sensitive to that. Um, so I didn't want anybody to be misled. Let's look at First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through verse 12. And let's stand together as we read God's word. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his very own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Before we begin speaking about the living stone, I just want to remind you, if you didn't get a chance to make a stone, you can do that following the service today. First Peter, chapter two, verse four through 12. We're standing here today in 2007, February the 18th, at really an important day, a day that will be remembered through the life of the church. And in some ways, it's been carved in stone. It's always going to be remembered as a special day. And you and I have the privilege of participating in 
this day. And it feels, I've had a sense of it feels like together we're, we're sort of standing on the edge of a pond and we're, we're going to cast our stone out into the pond. And our hope is, and to some degree this is already taking place, but as we establish a, a permanent place that as we, we throw our stone out into the pond, it, it, its ripple effects are all across our lives, all across our city, and, and to, to the degree that God would want to use us all around the world. We are bringing our capital campaign to a close today. And the focus of today has been on the, the work of the Word of God, the work of the people of God beyond the, the four walls. What are we trying to do outside of the four walls of Christ Community Church, whether it's in this building or the next? How we want to build a building, but yet still be a, a living temple. We want to be a holy priesthood. Peter is talking about being living stones. We're not just putting bricks and mortar together. We together are being fashioned together to be a living temple. And God's glory dwells in us and people are able to see God's glory through us. And so I want to look today how a holy people can live in an increasingly secular culture. How does a holy nation, how does a holy people continue to live in increasingly secular culture? And I really am just going to borrow the words of another man's sermon, which is Peter. These are the words that he addressed to his little congregation, the people who were a holy nation living in a very difficult environment. How do they how are they going to live? How are they going to stay in the fight and yet not become one of the people they're trying to help? As I give three examples here or reminders, I want us to work backward through the text. We're going to start at the end. And go back to verse four. You might think we're, we're sort of starting at the, the, the target and moving back. We're starting at the top of the pyramid and we're moving our way down to the foundation. So let's begin in, in verse 12. Peter is reminding his congregation of the vision. I want you to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, you're you're living out. We're not talking about the foundation. We're talking about the target. What it what is the church trying to be? We're trying to live out amongst the Gentiles or amongst those who are lost. And we're supposed to live in a way that even when they speak evil against us, they will see our good deeds. And they will glorify God. The vision of Christ Community Church is written on the front of your bulletin today to, to bring our families to bring Wilmington, to bring the world into a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. And Peter is telling us here in this verse, he's informing us that our lives, I want you to notice the language at the end of verse 12, our lives individually and together are to be seen. In the Greek, that means to behold or to closely inspect. As a church, as individual believers, 
your life is meant to be on the world stage so that the world can closely inspect your life. He's saying, please live a life that can be seen. Jesus says that be a city on a hill, be someone where everyone is looking at you. So we need to be seen. We live public lives. We, we live lives of close inspection. Haven't you just in the capital campaign? You yourself or you've been in a conversation that's been some tension. I wonder I wonder how Paul, I, I wonder how the church is going to approach this whole money thing. And you're leaning in, you're sort of, you're, you're hoping it goes well, but you're, you're closely inspecting. You're wondering if there's going to be some sort of pressure tactics. I mean, we're really trying to raise a lot of money and, and what are we going to say? And you're, you're closely inspecting the literature. You're, you're closely inspecting what gets said. You and I are meant to live lives under close inspection. We're meant to live underneath the microscope of the world. So that they can see every move that we make. Not all of us are called to be politicians like William Wilberforce. He's having a movie about his life come out this week. It's called Amazing Grace. And what little I know about it would be worth your while to go see. William Wilberforce was really the force behind ending slavery in England. And he said this about himself. He became a Christian as a politician. He says, my walk is a public one. And I love this line. My business is in the world. And I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which providence seems to have assigned me. You see, our business, your business, my business, the the church's business is meant to be done out into the world. That's our calling. We're we're called, whether the world is your family, whether the world is your your neighborhood or the people you work alongside, whether your world extends out into a homeless ministry or Haiti or any number of a thousand other worthwhile worlds. You're meant to be out in the world. I just love this picture uh, this week. Uh, Friday morning at 7.30, I'm sitting at a table with a high school student and I'm talking to him about Jesus. And Sam Kennedy, two tables over, he's sitting at a, a table of high school students talking to them about Jesus. That's our business. That's, that's where the work gets done, is out into the world. And we're supposed to live lives that can be seen so people can see us. You know, most people's first encounter with Christ is their encounter with you. How many people do you know just say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because of what? Some some person they met. Some church they came across. And so we are meant to live closely inspective lives. But notice in verse 12, it just doesn't end there, thankfully. It's just not obviously about us being seen, but it's being seen for a purpose. People are going to see see us and they're going to see through us. And then what's supposed to happen? They're supposed to give glory to God. They're looking at us and then they're looking through us and they're finding 
God. Remember the Old Testament word for glory? Remember what it meant? It meant heavy or weighty. You and I are supposed to live lives out into the world to give weight to the reality of God. Now, none of us needs to be reminded that we live in a weightless society. I mean, I think just yesterday I was in Walgreens and on the magazine rack is, I think it was Newsweek. And the cover of Newsweek, Britney Spears and Paris Hilton. And if you can't get enough of them, you can turn on any news show and you can get Anna Nicole Smith 24-7. All of these weightless things happen in our world and we have this endless appetite for things that have no weight. That's the culture that we live in. And so weighty People must enter into that culture and give weight to the reality of Almighty God to turn people's heads away from weightlessness and begin to say, there's something more about this world and this life that I'm just not getting from the television. I'm not just getting from news magazines. This endless appetite that I have for this stuff, I never get fulfilled. I need something else and I need to some I need to see it in somebody. And then they would see us and they would give glory to God. David Wells, uh, one of the great Christian thinkers of our day, wrote a book called God in the Wasteland. And he says this really about Christians. More so than just the secular society, it is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. What I mean by this is that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so lightly as to not be noticeable. Those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence. The garden variety believer, the mainstream believer, those who assure the pollsters of their belief in God's existence may nonetheless consider him less interesting than television. His commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence or influence. His judgments no more awe-inspiring than the evening news. And his truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. That is weightlessness. So Peter is reminding his congregation, and I am reminding you, That the church is supposed to live in the weightless world to be seen so that we might give weight to the reality of God. Well, how are we going to achieve this goal is really moving towards the second point. Remember, we're moving down from the pyramid. The goal is to live out into the world to be seen and give glory to God. But how are we going to maintain? How are we going to do this? And the second point in this, and we'll find it in verse 11 and 12, is that the church, listen closely, the church has to maintain a tension between the church and the world. It's the church's responsibility to maintain a tension. There's a real tension 
between the church and the world. And the church is supposed to maintain the tension. The tendency is to say, I don't like the tendon. I don't like the tension. And so I just sort of fall off on one side of the other. But Peter is saying clearly here in verse 11 and 12, we're supposed to maintain the tension. Notice the tension. Let's notice it. First, on the one hand, verse 11, we're called to live as a holy nation. We're supposed to live as aliens and strangers, or your version may say sojourners and exiles. We're supposed to live as aliens in the world. Yet, on the other hand, verse 12, we're supposed to live lives among the pagans so that people see every move we make. You see, I know this tension exists because it regulates what you wear. It regulates where you live. It regulates how you spend your time. It regulates your career choices or your educational choices. It regulates how you raise your family. How do you interact with the media? Every aspect of your life lives in this tension. How How is it, as Christ might say, how do I live in the world, but I don't live of the world. And this is the tension that Peter is talking about here in verse 11 and 12. And of course, the easiest thing, it's very difficult for me as an individual, it's very difficult for us as a church to maintain the right balance. And the easiest thing to do is, of course, just to fall off on one side or the other. What I'll call a separatist, or you just become assimilated. A separatist looks at Verse 11, understandably, sees that the stakes are high. We're not in just some ordinary battle, are we? This is a battle for your soul. We read verses like Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And, and we just begin to separate. We're, we're afraid of us. We're afraid of our family just sort of being swallowed up by the culture. And so it's just easier to leave all that behind. The other side is to assimilate. We look at 1 Corinthians 2 or 9.22 in the words of Paul. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I may save some. I mean, if I'm with the Jews, I look like a Jew. If I'm with the Gentiles, I'm trying to look like a Gentile. I'm just trying to do whatever I can so that by all possible means somebody might hear the gospel. We see here in verse 12, Jesus lives among, or we're supposed to live among the pagans. We hear Jesus being chastised for those who have separated themselves. What do they say about Jesus? He's a friend of sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. We don't live with those kinds of people. But how is it you're supposed to maintain the tension between those two worlds. That's what Peter's calling his people to. There's no way that people are going to see you and see the glory of God unless you're living amongst them. But the difficulty of living amongst them is then you become like them. So the church is supposed to maintain this tension. Peter chooses a a careful Greek word here. might say aliens or sojourners in your Text And in the Greek, it means you're a resident alien. Isn't that like an oxymoron? Isn't that the right word for that? Like jumbo shrimp or 
country music. The, just the two things don't go together. You know what I'm saying? I just made some enemies, I'm sure. You're, a, you're, you're not just a resident. You're not an alien. You're a resident alien. So you've taken up residence. You, you live in a particular place. You call it your home. You, you plant roots. You, you laugh together. You cry together. You just along the journey together. You're, you're a resident. But you're not a resident. You're an alien. You, you don't take any claim on this world. There's nothing in this world that has a, a particular appeal. I mean, you live here, but, but you understand you're an alien. You're, you're going to your real home, so you're not attracted to all the things in this weightless world because you're an alien. You're, you're a resident alien. And Peter is trying to help us understand if we want to be a church... Not, not bricks and mortar, a real thriving church with living stones. We're going to have to maintain this tension. There's really no better picture of it, I think, than maybe in just John chapter one. Remember that passage? We're talking about Jesus here. And it says that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God and he was with him in the beginning and all things were created through him. I mean, how much more separate can you get? John 1, 1. And then you have John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and what? And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The the separate word of God became flesh and we saw it. And we just didn't see it. We saw God's glory. And that's exactly what we want to have happen at Christ Community Church. People come and they see your life, your life. They look at it under close inspection and then they, the more they look at it, the more their heads are turned towards Christ. See, the tension is that the more they see your life, then the more you want them to see your life and you get lifted up. That's that's a real tension. But we're talking about maintaining the tension that people would see us and then see Christ in us, just like we saw with Jesus. Peter is helping his congregation see the same. Now, look, this is a difficult task. This is kind of easy say and hard to do. I mean, anybody can say, yeah, we should maintain this, but how do you practically maintain it? And I think Peter, now we're working down towards the foundation here. Peter gives two main points. Let's go back now to chapter two, verse five. You yourselves. Plural. He's not talking about you as an individual. He's talking about you all, the church, you yourselves. Like living stones, you're you're built up as a spiritual house. And see, you see what Peter's pointing out here? Nobody's a house. Nobody's a temple amongst themselves. Whenever you see this, really with the exception of just one spot in the scriptures, 
Paul or Peter, they're always talking about a collective group of people. All of you all together are this temple. And so God's weight is most easily seen when your life is interconnected intimately in the life of another person. Think think about a stone building. You have a stone building, you have all these different rocks in the wall. And if you were to take one rock out, it just start to crumble. You take another rock out, it begins to crumble because the rocks are set on top of each other. They're set inside or side by side, and then they're meant to have another rock on top of us. That's the picture that Peter's trying to say. You're, you're completely surrounded as a group. You're a living stone. You're living stones together. But see, we live in a culture, really, especially a church culture, that people are convinced that they can have a a flourishing Christian life just by having their own quiet times in the morning. That's not in the Bible. The flourishing Christian life are when people are intimately connected with one another. Because, see, if you're not intimately connected with one another, what's going to happen? You're going to separate or you're going to assimilate. You need other people in your life to push you around in the nicest way. So that when you begin to separate, you say, no, 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 no. We want your life to be seen. Please let people see your life. And then when you begin to assimilate, no, 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 we're not doing that. How is that possible? Well, one of the most important ways is that we're interconnected with each other. I need men in my life to say, Paul, I'm pushing you in this direction. Don't go in that direction anymore. And I need to be that for other people. But see, so much of us, so many of us live in a culture that you just sort of come to church. You you sit sort of in the back row. You appreciate the preaching and the songs are pretty decent. And then you just kind of go on your own way. And you think that's enough. But you're not interconnected. See, today when we give, this is such a perfect picture. You're, you're giving to bricks being put on top of each other so that we can go live in a house that has bricks on top of each other. And whether you give a dollar or whether you just say, I'm going to come and pray for it or whether you give a million dollars, that's what you're giving to. But what a great picture. When you, when you come forward, what you're saying is, I don't want to just be a brick all by myself. I need other people around me. We're living stones. We're plural. We're, we're here to be seen as a collective. The second and last point Peter points out to his congregation. Verse 4. Here, here, now here, we're back at the foundation. How is it that we can be in the business of living in the world? Well, we want to be seen and we want God to get the glory. That's only going to be possible if we maintain this tension. How do we maintain this tension? One another. Number one. And secondly, verse four and the ultimate foundation is that we're connected. We must be connected to Jesus. 
We must come to Jesus, the living stone. Verse 4. When you come to Jesus, the, the cornerstone, at least a couple of things happen. One is that you walk away from whatever foundation you built your life on. See, there's just one living stone. There's one foundation. And when you come to Jesus, what you're doing when you come to Christ is saying, I'm giving up all the foundations that I put my life on. And I'm putting all of my life on this one foundation. Whether it's your health, your children, your personality, your intelligence, your career, your dreams, your comfort, your retirement, your need to be right, your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your athletic ability, your ability to communicate, your willingness to serve. All of those are shifting sand. There's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus, what you're saying is, all of those things that I try to plant my feet on, now I'm planting my feet somewhere else. I'm planting them on Christ. And then He's going to reorient. You're lining yourself up like a building onto the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone not only bears the weight of the building, but it provides direction. So you're aligning yourself with the one stone and saying, from now on, I'm going to live my life in this alignment. You're giving up your foundation and you're saying, Christ, I'm going to align myself to what it is that you want me to do and how you want me to live. So before we come forward today. And you pick up a little card, a prayer card that Mike will explain to you and pray for one wall that gets built into the new building. You need to ask yourself if you've let go of the other foundations. I mean, is Jesus really the foundation? See, because if he's not, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm really afraid that you might come forward and give something. And mean to bring glory to yourself. Because if he's not your one foundation, somehow, some way, you either want a pat on the back from your spouse, you want a pat on the back from somebody else, or worst of all, when you get to heaven, you want God to pat you on the back for doing well. Jesus Christ. Is he the foundation? In this whole capital campaign, you notice we haven't really talked a lot about money. Because the whole capital campaign is like a, uh, a ruse to get your attention on spiritual things. It's just a way to ask yourself, what have I really planted myself on? 
And notice when you plant yourself on the living stone, just notice a few things that come out of it. The first thing that happens to you, a cold, dead stone, is you come alive. I'm alive. I've planted myself on the living stone. I've never seen the world this way before. And the second thing, because you're alive in Christ, God Almighty looks down at you and he says this to you. Because he says this to Christ. You came to me, but I chose you. And you are precious to me. The God of all creation looks at you like he looks at Christ. And he says, I chosen you. I came for you. You're precious. See, once that enters into your life, then you can have the right orientation on how you operate in this world. You're not caught up with the the materialism or the consumerism or, or sort of the weightlessness that goes on in our world. And then we can go back to Corinthians and be people who give freely. We don't give out of reluctance because we're residents, but we're aliens. There's nothing here in this world that we're really hanging on to. But while we're here, we're going to plant our feet. We're going to build a building at 4555 Fairfield Drive, I think is the address. And you know what? I want people to see us. We're not going to put up camouflage walls so they don't know that we're in there. I want people to come by and closely inspect the life of the pastor and closely inspect the life of the congregation. For this purpose, that they might see you and glorify God. That's our hope. It's not a particular size building. It's not a particular comfort level. It's so people could see us and glorify God. Let's pray. Lord, as we enter into this time together of uh, coming forward and making a commitment. This this is a, a long process that you've been working on. It's not just the five weeks, but maybe a lifetime I pray that as we we come forward, we would come cheerfully. We would come unified, husband and wife. That we would understand that all glory belongs to you in the whole process. And that we would carefully consider if we've really planted our life on Christ and him alone. Are we still living on the shifting foundations of a world? Lord, help us to be seen and yet not to be seen. For people could see your glory in us. We come forward and people are going to see that we're participating. They don't have any idea how much money we're giving. You do. But they're going to say that that person wants to be a part of the wall 
that maintains the tension so that the lost could see the glory of God. I just pray now for the miraculous and supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.